This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide, and we'll be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it's important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and let people talk about it. In all of our discussions, we'll be conscious to use appropriate language. Your self-care is important. And listening to this podcast may raise issues for you. And if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. You can call QLife on 1800 184 527. The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the JOY website at joy.org.au slash let's talk. This JOY podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who have been bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk and I'm your host for this podcast. And guiding you through each of our episodes are our two experts, Joe Ball, who was the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. They are also an LGBTIQA plus community leader and use the pronouns they, them. And Dr. Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of support after suicide. We'll also hear from four brave people who have talked about their experience with a loved one who died by suicide. Bo, Lara, Peter and Alice. In this episode we're talking about the funeral, including some of the challenges you may face, both in the planning and on the actual day. The funeral is normally held within a few weeks of the death, and it's still a very confusing and tumultuous time for everybody involved. There can be a lot of different expectations, and some people might find that it is hard to truly celebrate the life of the person because of the issues surrounding the suicide. Here's Louise from Support After Suicide talking about some of the complexities when it comes to the funeral. The purpose or the intent of a funeral is probably um, different for different people. So some funerals do manage really to be quite a a celebration and of someone's life where all that they were and have and how they lived um, can be really acknowledged. 
And I guess it's the word celebrate too. Like sometimes that's what we want to do. We want to really celebrate someone's life, but it might conjure up a sort of a picture that doesn't quite work. So to feel like at a funeral we can honour someone, give them respect, acknowledge their life, their accomplishments, their relationships, um, that can be quite important. I think the other part of a funeral that can kind of go awry is when someone is is idealised and again that can cause us not to sort of recognise the person so that they're kind of only their positive attributes are spoken about and sometimes kind of inflated and that can leave us feeling a bit disconnected too. It's just great to be able to really acknowledge the complexities of someone's life, the issues they struggled with And to be able to do that without in any way diminishing them or demeaning them. But I think in in the sort of preparation for a funeral, depending on who's got that decision-making position, it can be complex, I think, to in a sense decide what the intent or the purpose of that funeral is. And that, I think, can really leave people, some people feeling that the funeral hasn't done the person justice. As you've suggested, Hamish, that can really be affected by the tumult, the pain, the confusion, the misunderstanding and uh, the trauma, really, not knowing how to think about this and what to do. Sort of, the, It's a time for some people of high emotion and that can really influence some of the decisions that will get made around a funeral is it important to acknowledge that it was suicide at the funeral? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we did at our staff member, like, we, uh, I, I said it. And and in all correspondence, we had to, to volunteers and staff and anyone who was associated, we named it. And we did named it fairly early on because I think people know. Because the absence of not saying it, people hear that absence. So if you start saying, they passed away, um, they died, but you don't give any reason for they died. So if someone had died of cancer, you would say, well, they died of cancer, they'd struggled for quite some time. But I think with suicide, what you do is you just, you just people evacuate the space and it seems quite mysterious and then people know what's being said. And, and the message you're sending to those people is saying, suicide, don't say it. We can't say it. It's stigma, and so no, we we can say it, and we need to take on that that stigma. Yeah, what I'd add to that is that for some people, because a funeral is usually so early on, like you know about a week or so after someone's died, many people will still be struggling about how to think about what's happened, um, how to understand it. So some people can have difficulty with the word; it can feel traumatic. And also, it is important to be aware of how some how we speak about suicide. So, and some people won't have had the time or the space, in a sense, to actually kind of grapple with or come to terms with how they're going to acknowledge that the person they love took their own life. I think actually, it is it is more helpful to be able to say that someone took their own life and to really acknowledge that. And I certainly know of families and communities where they've been able to be very 
upfront about that and that it is very helpful to everybody, including children. Like being able to really acknowledge this, break down the stigma, is actually very helpful for everybody because then it opens the way for everybody to be able to speak about it and that's a that's a better position, I think, to be in. It can remain ambiguous, though. Like that's the point you were saying, Louise, about I mean, there are processes that take place and certainly people could be listening now where processes are taking place like the coroner's court Mm. or the coroner's findings where things are ambiguous. You know, sometimes that happens with car accident. It can take time to work through that and people can be at different stages, which I think can definitely, as you pointed out, be happening at the funeral where there can be a whole group of people who are just like, we don't know yet and we're not sure and they don't want to acknowledge it. And then there are other people who have actually known that that person was really struggling and they've come to that realisation quicker. Yeah, I think that it's a good point that um, there can be sometimes ambiguity about what actually happened and also some people will be more ready to acknowledge what happened than some others. And so it creates a a complex and very difficult uh, experience as people are preparing for the funeral. If you're listening to the episodes of this podcast out of order and you haven't listened to the very first one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it now. We discuss ways to talk about suicide safely, including some safe language that you can use, and also why not talking about some things, like method or location, is really important. That episode, episode one, might be helpful as you navigate the funeral and the lead up to it. Organising the funeral can be complicated by religion. This could be the religion of the person who died, or their lack of religious beliefs, or the religion of those bereaving. There also can be complications around religion. There are some orthodox parts of religion that can say that if somebody suicides, they're not going to go to the afterlife. So that can play out in a funeral. That's just very complicated and it goes to... That funerals aren't everything to everybody. Uh, they have a lot of competing priorities going on and that can be a really important thing for people to think about before they go into a funeral is that there's lots of different people's ideology and needs being played out in the space. Be prepared for that and be thinking about ways that you're going to get your needs met and it may not be at the funeral. The other important issue about funerals is who gets to decide and who gets the choice about what happens. And that that can be quite difficult. Who's going to be included in the planning and the preparation? The person who um, is in the position of making these decisions might be uh, very open to quite a few people having input or not. And I think that's part of it. And so if... Um, a family perhaps is is not so open to others being included, then that can leave people feeling quite excluded and disconnected from a funeral. I think that's a really important thing. It's like many people will want to honour the person and yet sometimes a funeral won't be satisfying uh, from that point of view. What What are some of the ways that people can manage those expectations with differing opinions at that time? It can be very painful to not feel that you have a voice in um, some of these uh, ceremonies or rituals. What I've encouraged people to do over the years is to 
come up with their own ways, their own ways to memorialise, to remember, and their own rituals sometimes to honour the person. People can do things themselves, carry out rituals or just undertake certain activities that really uh, help them honour the person. And that might be something that someone does on their own. It might be with a small group of people. It might even be with a large group of people. Alice felt that this was the case at the funeral for Ingrid. I think there were a few things that were particularly difficult about the immediate process after her suicide because perhaps she was queer and we were queer. Um, One thing was like her actual funeral service. Um, And I guess it wasn't so much like... I think part of my challenge around it was that to me, Ingrid was family, um, but her, her, her family of origin very much had ownership over her during this process. And I don't know, like, I'm not saying that's wrong, um, but it was challenging in a way to feel very cut out of the decision making around how to honour her in the period after her death. Um, I think a big thing for me that changed was we had. Um, so some of the official kind of fun- funeral things for Ingrid were quite difficult. Um, but we had a, um, like a queer service, kind of very much in the community. And I'm so glad that I went to that. Um, that was very healing for me to do that. And I think a big thing was that um, in a space where all that she was felt very acknowledged, um, and that the experience that we were going through felt very acknowledged, that um, I felt like I could genuinely in my heart forgive Ingrid. Like, I'm not a a religious or particularly a spiritual person, but it felt like a very spiritual moment. We were in this beautiful building, um, the Braille Library in Melbourne, and... um, you know it's just this beautiful almost cathedral-like library space and the light was streaming in it was the afternoon and I was kind of holding hands with some people and people had been giving beautiful speeches about Ingrid and what she meant to them and how they were feeling and there was something about that space which really I think just released something um yeah so I don't know exactly what what was going on there or what might have been happening in me that led up to that point of that little transformative click but that was definitely when it happened and I think throughout the whole process of I guess recovering from Ingrid's suicide community has been really really important for me. You can hear from what Alice said that it was really important to her and her community to have this alternative to the funeral. It allowed the community to come together and celebrate Ingrid. I asked Joe. How important is it that we honour the person in an authentic way that reflects the way they live their life? Sadly, it's far too common in LGBTIQA plus communities that people's gender and sexuality is not entirely accepted by family. Um, They might in time, uh, but they might not be accepting at the time that the person has suicided. And that can play out in the formal the the formal funeral if for want of a better word or the first funeral particularly i think this plays out because there is stigma around 
as much as there is stigma around suicide, there's still stigma in families about when someone is a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, asexual. There's still that stigma that is there. And so that, so that people might want to hide that from people who are attending the funeral. Maybe they want to hide that from people that, that don't know, um, like grandparents, um, work colleagues, you know, that that can play out. And I think there's another component that takes place is because of in our community there is high levels of, of suicide, uh, which is due to discrimination and social pressures and a range of other other things that come into play with suicide. And I think people can blame your sexuality or gender as the reason why you suicided. And that means that people feel like, well, that you were that you were sick or you were unwell and that your sexuality and gender was was involved in that sickness and and unwell and so therefore they don't want to bring it up at the funeral because they're angry at you they're angry at you for being gay or they're angry that you had not the gender that um was assigned to you at birth and so they want to rewrite that rewrite that part of your life and sadly that is far too common that it happens um in people's in our community when you're thinking about honoring someone people can feel like Funerals can be deeply dishonouring if somebody's life is just the last 10 years, 5, 10 years or, or more of their life is just written out by um, family of origin. But why is it important to actually honour them the way they lived? Like what is, what is it about that, that that helps with the healing process? For you, you want to have a ceremony that's about the person that you knew and going to a ceremony and the person is dressed or appears if the coat if the coffin is, is, is open, they look completely different. You actually feel like that is not the person. And then if all these things are said, um, like, for example, if partners aren't acknowledged, um, if the fact they actually worked for an LGBTI organisation isn't acknowledged, um, that they dedicated their life to, or all these kind of things, or the causes or the lives that they live, maybe they were really involved in a particular dance scene. And if all that is kind of you know, and they've been very out about those things and that's hidden in the funeral. People are like, well, who is this a funeral for? You know, and I think that's what, that's what Alice is talking to there is that moment of just erasure and how painful that is. And I think in our community, we're really familiar with that. I mean, we really saw that happen during the HIV crisis is that when people passed away due to stigma around HIV status and being gay, families absolutely did this during funerals. They just made up reasons that the person had died um, and then didn't invite partners, excluded them. And what we saw in response is actually the queer community turned around and ran public ceremonies um, to to recognise the people in the lives that they had lived. And that was very important in people being able to destigmatize HIV and in this case destigmatize suicide and also destigmatize our gender and sexuality and, you know, be actually life affirming. When someone takes their own life, it can leave those left behind feeling like they don't know the person. So that sort of disrupts the relationship, you know, that we can have with someone. It's that sense of like, I don't quite, I don't feel like I know them anymore because they've done this. That that can sometimes happen. And I think it's very hard to grieve someone when you have a sense of not knowing them. And I think what Joe's talking about with a funeral is that, that it's very hard to really connect with you know the the different purposes of a funeral 
if the person who's being presented at the funeral, you, you kind of, you don't recognise them. So I think it's really important. Like it's great if someone's, uh, the fullness of someone's life can be acknowledged. All that they were can be celebrated and embraced. It's, I think it's much more helpful for, for most people at a funeral if we don't give in to shame and stigma and um, feel the need to erase or hide part of someone's life. So even though it can be complex, I think, I th- I think it is better overall if it's something that can be done together as a community, all the parts of someone's life um, can be shared. But as Joe's saying, unfortunately, that, that isn't always possible. And so then, you know, as Alice was talking about there, creating this really important, uh, very beautiful, very moving acknowledgement, celebration of Ingrid and her life, the way she lived, is a beautiful thing to do. And also, clearly, the way Alice talks about it is, I think she used the word healing, um, but there was a moment of sort of feeling reconciled and um, connected, which uh, is incredibly helpful and very powerful. Planning the funeral can be difficult because of the different expectations people have for it, and also because of the stigma of suicide. Having a funeral that is authentic to the memory of the person who died, and even acknowledging the fact that the person died by suicide, although tough, might be more helpful for the community in grief. And an alternative memorial service might be what your community needs. There are also many other ways to remember and honour your loved one. And that's what we'll be talking about in the next and final episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. Please join me for that. But just before you go, as part of our regular focus on self-care at the end of each episode, you're going to hear from Lara about something she did to help with her grief. This one is something that we've talked about many times during the series, but it's good to hear Lara talk about it in a really direct way. Therapy. Therapy, therapy, therapy. I was already quite pro-therapy before Ingrid's death, and Ingrid was actually very pro-therapy herself. And so I had a therapist that I already was connected with. I then also connected up with support after suicide. So I had that particular support, which I found really valuable because... Um, suicide loss is such a particular experience so having people that were really knowledgeable about that was very helpful and then I also did group work and so being around people that were going through the same sort of loss was very comforting very painful at times as well but very comforting I yeah I think particularly the first six months six to nine months after Ingrid's death I was, I mean, there wouldn't have been a week that I, that went past where I wasn't going to some sort of therapy. At first I was so traumatized that I just needed people to, to, to therapists that understood trauma. And I was in a a lucky position that, that both therapists that I was seeing did. It wasn't really something I'd done before Ingrid's death, but it was really valuable um, to call the grief line and I think I might have even called Beyond Blue one day. But the grief line was the main line that, that I called. I mean, there's just times where, yeah, you've, you've been by yourself all day and you're overwhelmed in your grief and it's helpful to be able to pick up the phone and speak to somebody who understands grief, really. And also, it does get to a point where you don't want to always be ringing 
your friends in such pain, it can be quite a lot for the people around you, um, even though probably your friends would say that they want you to call them. I think sometimes being able to call Griefline is very helpful as well. You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash let's talk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the courageous people who have shared their own stories. Thanks to our amazing expert panel, Joe Ball from Switchwood, Victoria, and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Bo, Lara, and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk. Editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones. And technical help from Jack Trainor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at letstalk at joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash let's talk. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.